We are live. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another Caddy Cube Tuesdays. Today is quite a special one. We've got Anton on screen to start with. Welcome, Anton. Um, you're in Kiev right now. I, I am in Kiev, well, unfortunately, or, or whatever. I don't, don't know what to say. They just bumped uh, Kiev uh, television tower. Tower stays, but TV signal disappear. Uh, what, it's what they say. I don't use television, so it doesn't affect me, but well, yeah. it does affect everyone, <laughs> I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a really sad situation to be talking to you like this, but how are you, how are you feeling and, and how is it generally? You know, how are you feeling the, the mood in Kiev? Uh, yeah, we we place where I live is a boring suburb. You you've been here actually, yep. <laughs> boring boring suburb of Kiev. Very boring place. Nothing happening, and I wish it stays this way. So it is now this way. So we we hear sirens not all the time, but we do. We hear very distant explosions. Very distant. Uh, so so far so good. Uh, shops are open. We have internet as you can see uh, we have electricity obviously uh, and running water and, and everything uh, obviously we don't know how long it stays this way but, but so far wasn't that bad here where i am but uh, in some other place we're much much worse unfortunately i can see right and i mean for today i was thinking about cancelling it and you said let's have a bit of normal feedback. yeah 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 yeah, okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to remove myself from the screen because we, we had enough of that, or hopefully enough. And let's get to back to kind of normality because we do need a normality. We don't need, we, you can't sit all day and be scared. You probably just go crazy. Yeah, so let's get uh, to, to normality, talk about some, 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 something else. Okay, okay. guys, cheers. See you later, man. Thanks a lot. Stay See safe. You. Thank you. Now on with the show for a bit of normality with Stefan. Welcome, Stefan. How are you doing? Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm all right. You get the song. A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Stefan Bajau. <laughs> I got stuck on your first name instead of the second one. Listen, I, most I people don't get my first or my last name right, so uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Now, let's get back to normality for 30 minutes. I'm um, talking about supply and demand. I'm going to sing the song again because then I can do the podcast from it. A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Stefan Bajayu. Well, thank you for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. Uh, Welcome. It's going to be here. delightful. We, we've been talking about supply and demand, but before we do that, I'm going to show you your brand, SERP. And the first thing I did was try to find your KGM ID. And here we have your KGM ID. And as you can see on the left, we have the KGM ID showing the results that are exactly the same as the results that Google shows for your name. And that implies or suggests that Google has fully understood who you are. You just don't have a knowledge panel yet. And I love finding those because those are the basics, the foundation on which you can build a knowledge panel pretty easily. So you're well on the way. And then we were talking about this, which is on your results page. Looking down the bottom, we've got these videos. And you were suggesting that maybe that video of this podcast or this Catacube Tuesdays appears because it's um, in a time-sensitive piece of information that your audience will be interested in. Do you want to expand on that? Sure. I mean, uh, much like much like we used to talk about query deserves freshness. So if folks don't know what that, that term means, I'm sure many of them do because uh, many of the folks that follow you are, are, are advanced. 
Um, but I know there are probably some newbies in the audience. Query deserves freshness is this idea that a query itself, if you were to look up, for example, um, Tsunami Japan, it would show you the most recent tsunami, not one that had happened 100 years ago. Um, the same probably holds true with the way Google wants to show the most recent videos it believes or has high confidence are relevant to the individual. So not surprising to find that there. Um, I think uh, the question is, you know, really how much content are you actually having associated with your name? And then also the, the I would also assume that the domain authority, so to speak, of who the, who the even though it might be on a YouTube channel, um, who is actually publishing that will play a factor as to whether it shows up. If it's the only video that just showed up on a new YouTube channel, I'm not sure that its recency is gonna make that big a difference in showing up in the SERPs for you. Right, yeah, no, that's really interesting from my perspective, because we've been doing this for a year and a half, Kelly Keep Tuesdays, every single Tuesday, as the name suggests. And what I've seen is Google has triggered knowledge panels increasingly quickly. We've got it down to something like 17 minutes between the moment we publish an event and getting the knowledge panel. But we're also seeing that we tend to, uh, how can I put it, um, trespass upon your people's brand SERPs when, when our guests are on, both before and after. Um, and that consistency and that, I would, I would say, entity authority, Google's understood who we are, it understood, it's understood what the event is, and potentially that's going to be driving that presence, which is, you know, getting in the way of your good name. I'm really sorry. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that at all. In <laughs> fact, I'd say quite the opposite, and I know that was a tongue-in-cheek, but think about this. And, and I think we'd have to talk about this more on someone uh, who has information or videos being published about them every single week, right? right? So the frequency also should play into a factor as to, you know, if we were thinking of it as since you're publishing this um, and it sees within 17 minutes, it's obviously crawling and taking that information and realizing that you do that on a consistent basis. Therefore, it knows you're a trusted source and is willing mm -hmm. to provide that quickly yet um, an individual, so to come in, I'm not having a hundred videos about me put up a week and then you're imposing yours into the mix. So you're mm. probably the most frequently crawled um, entity that is now talking about me right now. The other things that have videos about me are maybe my YouTube channel, they might be, uh, you know, things, uh, you know, webinars I've been a part of, so on and so forth. Those are not constantly updating. So Google's need to see that and recognize that and say, oh, this is fresh, isn't the mm. same as someone else's. So I would say yours probably plays a factor because of the consistency. That's an assumption. Yeah. But it's the same thing we think about when we think about um, the novelty of content and, uh, and, and the frequency of content on a website. So I, I kind of look at it the same way. Right, yeah. I mean, the idea of consistency, since before we did Kelly Keep Tuesdays, I was just publishing podcasts as and when I could be bothered to, to, to bounce them down in terms of sound. I would record them in groups of 12 and wow. then push them out as I felt like it. Um, well, I, I was doing them at conferences when I met people. I would just interview them, so I'd get 12 in a conference. Um, and this has been consistent, and it brings me back to the Buwan Kuala days, who d delightfully, and I've only just realized this, are blue and yellow. It's a blue dog and a yellow koala. Buwan Kuala would have been the best guests for this particular episode today. Um, and what we did was we published every single month. And what we found was that the kids who were playing with Buwan Kuala on the site that consistently was incredibly important. And that brings me back to my favorite analogy. Google is a child. It yep. loves consistency. It wants to learn. It loves repetition. And we need to bear that in mind. Uh, and it loves new stuff. It loves 
fresh new stuff and it gets overexcited. So the more I look at Google as a child, the more comfortable I feel with the job that I'm doing, um, trying to educate it as opposed to trying to trick it. Absolutely. Um, now, that takes us on to supply and demand. You, This is your theory. And I'm an economist. So supply and demand, I go, ooh, that's interesting. Um, but what do you mean by supply? And then what do you mean by demand? Let's start with supply. Sure. I want to go the other way, actually, because we say oh, supply done. and demand uh, because that's how we, we've we always thought of it, right? Um, but I, I've, I've actually flipped it. And the reason why, just right. to give a little bit of background for folks. So I've worked in the enterprise SEO space for 15 to 20 years, meaning I've sat with CMOs of the largest companies in the world. And I've also struggled trying to convince many an organization to build out SEO, build out SEO teams, build out SEO practices, invest in SEO. And in doing so, I found, um, you know, a lot of the time, the individual who's trying to get that point across is doing so without getting to the business metrics. They're not talking mm. supply and demand. They're not using terms that are, they might use the term canonical, right? <laughs> Which raises more wristwatches than it does eyebrows. So in reality, when I think of supply and demand, or in this case, demand and supply, first, I think of Google in a different way. I think most people look at Google as a you know an attempt to rank, at least in SEO, mm -hmm. and and that's very egotistical because we're looking at it from our brand specifically, right? My intention is to make myself show up in the search results. Right. We use demand as a proxy for that, so we look at search volume for however we can argue it's it's tenants on another <laughs> a whole other show on how accurate that is. But we do look at the way people search. And if we understand the way people search, then we understand their demand. What is it they're really looking for? Now, I don't mean just the product. I mean the problems they express, the things they share. One of my favorite lines is nobody lies to their search bar. And it's so true, right? You will tell that search bar things you wouldn't tell your spouse, things you wouldn't tell your rabbi, your mm -hmm. priest, anything you will put into that search bar. Meaning we don't have the specific data tied back to Jason. I don't want to see his search results. But we do have the ability to understand the way in which people are expressing themselves. Now, as a business, we should be very attuned to that demand. Traditionally, all we do is say, oh, well, you know, we have a product. It's our job to drive demand for it. That's, that's what marketing originally was, right? In this case, it's we have a problem. We have a demand. How are we serving that? But not just how are we serving that, who's serving that? So that takes us to the other side of the search bar. Brilliant. The SERPs. The SERPs, the search engine result page, is filled with supply. That's as if you just walked into a store with an idea of what you wanted, and you were given a share of shelf, right? There's, there's a shelf there, and you can see all the different things on the shelf. That will formulate, I, I've always said, the search engine results are either confirming a bias you have, they are introducing you to something you didn't realize or they're confusing you to the point that you need to find find more information. Right. Yeah. Which then triggers a new search. Which then triggers, exactly. So, so, you know, if I believe that because I've been in the industry for 20 years and, uh, and I know all the players in the SEO space and I query Google myself, knowing someone... Uh, a good amount of how this all works, right? And I see a brand pop up there. A brand pops up I've never heard of in the top 10. I, in some way, shape, or form, question slightly, well, where do these guys come from? 
I, I, I didn't know these guys. Are they new on the scene? What's going on? Maybe I'm unattuned to something I right. thought. Now, repeat that through five, six, seven different searches. If I see that same brand pop up, yeah. all of a sudden, they've been in the supply so frequently that I start to question whether or not I was right in my 20 years of knowledge or if I missed something. Right. And, and, and that kind of is that really important point of the SERP is also a branding opportunity. And obsessing about clicks is wonderful, but just the branding opportunity is already quite powerful, especially when you've got those multiple touches if you can dominate a sector. Yeah, and it's 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 confirmation bias, right? So right. when you think about it, and it's funny, I, I actually was talking with someone the other day, and I, I showed them, uh, I think it was a G2, G2 page for their product, right? right? And uh, they said to me, uh, well, those are not really my competitors. Right. I said, hold on a second. It doesn't matter if they're your competitors or not. The perception, depending on which queries are driving that particular G2 page, for example, which if you don't know, G2 is a review site. So having a review site that gives you and your maybe not correct competitors side mm -hmm. by side is educating an audience as to whether or not they should consider you or someone else. If you haven't looked at the reviews you have on that site and ensured that that page actually has great reviews, you're doing yourself a disservice because it doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether they're right or wrong. It just matters that this will be consumed by an audience who has an interest in your brand. So if they're not seeing the best face of you and you're choosing to ignore that, you're doing yourself harm. You just can't say, oh, well, that's not right. And we'll just say, forget it. Because while you forget it, others are consuming it. That conversation happens no matter what. Right. right. And yeah, and, and I think kind of people forget, you've got to look pretty on the SERP. And we all focus on those kind of rich snippets that we get. But it's also things like the thumbnails that we just saw for the video that we've got ranking for you. That's a beautiful thumbnail. And we spend a lot of time looking at that graphic design. My ex-wife did it. Um, and, and I love it. And it's got these bright colors. It's got readable text. And our brand, when people see it, looks, from my perspective at least, great. Um, another thing you just said is uh, Google's educating its audience by through the, the search results page. So we're now in a situation where, from my perspective, as brands, we need to educate Google about who we are, what we do, and who our audience might be. Agreed. And by proxy, we're then uh, educating the people on the other side, our audience, through Google. So our uh, appearance on Google and how we appear on Google and the, the content we put onto Google is incredibly important. Yeah, I, I, you know, this is a topic I've, I've, I've talked about for years, literally, I think I, I first coined this phrase in 2011, uh, called spy search presence intelligence. And what it is, is this concept that, you know, you should be using the SERP throughout your entire business, much like you should be using the demand. So if we think about the supply, what is being provided as supply should go right back into your business intelligence. Let's take that down, uh, uh, you know, kind of a thought process for a moment. A rabbit hole, you mean? <laughs> sure, I'm, I'm a big rabbit. I like to go down rabbit holes. So um, think of it this way. If you do a query and all of a sudden some publishers show up, and it's for a term you obviously want to rank for, but you don't outrank the publisher because the publisher could be Forbes. Well, that Forbes page that might be ranking number one that has display options, right? So I guess has the display person, is are they cognizant of that? Have you taken that... URL, put it into any one of the SEO products and actually look to see what the what the estimated traffic to that page is. 
meaning eyeballs that are relevant to your brand are now finding their way there. Now you would, right. you know, programmatically normally hope that you hit that page and so forth and so on. But if there's a specific page out there, have you done something? If a Quora result shows up, someone's asking a question. It has to do with a conversation you should be part of. Does your right. social team know about it? And this is where I traditionally get into, especially in there's two kind of issues with the strategy and why it doesn't happen pun intended, organically within organizations. In large companies, it's silos. Just a bunch yeah. of silos, right? You've got your S your SEO person here who's trying to convince everyone else to listen to them. And then you've got, you know, uh, you've got your social person and your display person. They, they all might live in digital marketing in a large organization, but they all have their own KPIs and they all have their own mandates and they all work differently. Re really quickly. Yeah. Just Sorry, uh, you can come back to that in a moment. But what one thing is, they often don't communicate horizontally. That's and why silos are Calicube, right? Yeah, and that with CaliCube, I'm seeing that we're, we're we're fighting that in terms of the the way people are working. But what struck me is when I was talking to or listening rather to Gary Ilias three years ago, he was talking about how in fact all of these different silos within Google don't talk to each other. We have a tendency to think of Google as this one or Google Search. We're just talking about Google Search here sure. as this one massive kind of object thing where everything's incredibly well intertwined and interconnected and communicating incredibly well. But in fact, it's lots of people, lots of teams de dealing with different products like Google My Business, uh, the videos, uh, the, the different elements that people also ask, the knowledge panels, and, and they don't necessarily talk to each other. In fact, they probably don't at all. And it's all put together in this kind of cert. So kind of that was just my comment as it struck me as how naive we are to think that these teams are talking to each other and it's actually just an amalgam of different blocks that I, the I can't even together. tell you the hundreds of brands that you would be, I, I mean, astonished that I've had the, the privilege of working with, you know, and seeing mm. inside their organizations. And unfortunately, right. seeing the dysfunction that lives within them, not in the way they each go to market. They have phenomenal people. Mm. What they don't have is they don't have a cohesive strategy to break across silos, right? And right. that becomes tremendously difficult. Um, for an SEO, because an SEO is, is in essence, has to try and convince, maybe not, you might not say that social traditionally is convinced or or the display might be, or that affiliate or many of the other things I think would be in the SERP that you'd want to take into account, bring that information back to a team and say, hey, I have something that can help you. Um, and I have many strategies, frankly, of being an evangelist uh, of SEO on how to do that correctly. but. Yeah. But what I found is these organizations are not structured that way. Now, the opposite I was saying, which is the Jack and Jill's of all trade, meaning SEO is one of the many things they are now tasked with. Even though they also do display, they also do paid, they also do the other aspects of marketing, right? Those individuals using the data from search, trying to then implement it in other places, they're hard pressed enough to do one of their jobs correctly, let mm -hmm. alone start trying more advanced aspects of, if I take this supply and I feed it back in compared to the demand, can I actually start to change the face of our brand? As well as, unfortunately, companies do not spend on their brand the way they should. Now they're happy no. to spend on oh, I, Super Bowl advertising, right, Jason? They're happy to go run an ad and hope, right? They, they, they call, it's what we call spray and pray. Right, they put a, a an ad in Yankee Stadium on a billboard, a digital billboard, and they're like, "Well, I hope that guy is really interested in buying a fridge." And you know, as a brand that may or may not land, it may be just one of those repetitive things. Notice I do this: repetitive things that you have to um, show your brand eight times before mm. someone takes an action. 
But what's mm -hmm. funny is we don't actually consider that part of the, the play when we think of supply in the SERP and then actually having your brand confirmed, not by you, right? But by third parties, trusted third parties is incredibly and, valuable. And what, once again, yeah, absolutely. But, and, and one thing I think we also fail to realize or forget maybe is that Google is a trusted third party. We use Google because we trust its results or yes. at least we think they're better than perhaps Microsoft or DuckDuckGo or whatever it might be. But that idea is that when Google shows a set of results, it's saying, here is my recommended list yes. of best answers to your question or best solutions to your problem. And that recommendation, it's an implicit recommendation, but as Google users, we accept that. And as marketers, we forget that as users, we, we, we are trusting Google and we're taking its advice. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole point is even in my saying, oh, in the SEO space of SEO products, uh, mm. you know, if, if a new one is shown to me, I still, still look back and go, it might be a flaw in my knowledge, not their rankings, right? I don't assume. Right. And so that's what's so amazing is that we're all consumers of this amazing set of data. We use it for so much of our lives, and yet we don't turn around as a business and use mm. that in a more efficient way. When you think about this, I'm always shocked at how many product teams are not using search data and, and actually mm. search results to define the features, functionalities, and issues their customers are having. They're happy to go out into, the, into their client base and ask yeah. questions, you know, uh, and and figure out problems, but they don't actually go and see how the market itself is right. actually speaking about the topic and the concerns and the things. I want to know a Reddit page is showing up about a uh, noise canceling versus noise reduction right. and, and and that aspect, right? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that Tom Critchlow touched on this a few weeks ago about how much data we have, how much information and insights we have, and that the other teams would do well, or we would do well to convince them or encourage them to use that data and to look to us for that data, because we're the central source of this astonishing set of data. But the other thing is that makes me obviously talk about brand SERPs, is products have brand SERPs. Yes. It's an entity SERP. It's the result for that product. And if you're saying, well, the, the Quora uh, pages ranking, then Google thinks that that is important, relevant, and helpful to the audience of that product. Same for people also ask, same for videos, same for the knowledge panel, same for all the results on that product SERP, the brand SERP in my vocabulary. Um, and for me, it's a massive, massive miss because Google's done the market research and it's showing you what it thinks is most highly relevant, helpful, and valuable to that audience. What do you think of that? I mean, you're dead on. I think. Uh, well, I, I've got a career ahead of me. You didn't pay me to say that, but um, <laughs> but in, in the reality of this is, I can't tell you how frequently I used to, and and you know, in, in dealing with keywords and tracking and things like that, people would say to me, "I don't want to track my brand terms. I don't want." And and yeah. much of that had to do with paying, right? I don't want to pay for keywords that I think I should rank for anyway. And I'd say to them, "Well, hold on a second. Do you show up for all 10 of your results in the brand? I mean, not necessarily. In fact, less now than ever before, right? Um, brand is often seen as navigational, but it's also, sometimes it's navigational, but sometimes it's informational. So sometimes individuals are actually trying to find coupon and code. And I can actually, I was telling Jason this in a, uh, the other day, I actually had a product I was looking at where I thought I would buy it, it was for myself personally, it was four times more expensive per month than the original product I was using. And I went and looked their brand up and this will date me as to when I did it. 
Um, I looked the name of the brand up and I found them and I went onto their site and I started filling out a, a form and I didn't even think about this, but then the form showed me uh, one of the fill outs said, uh, you know, coupon code. And so I'm like, well, hmm. I'm not an idiot. I'm going to go look up their name plus coupon code. And while I did that and they showed up number one for themselves, guess what? A Google plus page showed up number two. That, that hmm. dates me now. And on yeah, the Google plus page was an entire litany of uh, first someone talking about it. And then about their product, it wasn't wasn't very, I mean, they, they did a great rundown of why not to go with their product, but then 15 other people chimed in. Now, mm. there's someone in that company going like, I don't understand it. I have a, a form fill out that gets opened a lot, but it sure doesn't get a lot of completes. Right. And it's because they haven't tied back the experience of the user to actually what they're going through. The user will go back. You've offered me this idea had I been smart, which I'm not, but had I been smart, I probably would have done coupon code at the beginning. I just didn't assume they had coupon codes. But this concept of the user will go through a, a process when purchasing, a process when building a relationship with your company, they will consume the supply. The supply will influence their demand. That's what's so interesting is people aren't realizing that and they're not building their businesses or Moreover, their websites, they've started to build their websites with demand in mind, right? We realized that people are actually looking for mm. a 325i red BMW. So we know we need pages that actually go all the way down to that level. So that if you were to search them, you could enter that way. The question is, is the business actually thinking, I don't actually offer that product. Should I be yeah. offering that product because people are searching for it? Mm. If you take it all the way back to the beginning, the true supply, which is, will you build your business in accordance of the demand being shown in the market? Now, right. they'll say, no, that doesn't happen. That demand is really built on how we get feedback from our clients, on market research. On Well, why is this not part of your market research? Why is this right. not a huge aspect of how you consider who the players are, who the competitors are? Because guess what? Ooh, sorry, I froze there. Guess what? People will go. They will consume and they will mm. they will have a conversation with Google. The question is whether or not you'll be a part of it, not just with your right. website, but everywhere you can be. Yeah, no, I like that. They will have a conversation with Google is a delightful way of putting it. And uh, one thing that then leads me on to is, I mean, you've talked about basically saying, hey, look for the demand and chase it, let's say. But as an economist, when I was back there in Liverpool um, years and years ago, far too long for me to mention it, and my white beard gives it away, uh, way before Google+, Plus, uh, one of the phrases that stuck in my mind was supply creates its own demand. And the example was um, Margaret Thatcher building the M25. And they built it, and they predicted on current situations. And within a month it was already just completely full of traffic jams. And what had happened is that the fact that they built it meant that more people wanted to use it and they didn't uh, factor in that supply creates its own demand. Can you map that into your amazing analogy? <laughs> to see if, this is the trick question. I really do apologize. But it no, 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 it's, perfect, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. I mean, all right, so... Let me think through that for a second. So right, okay. In the meantime, I'll, I'll just keep talking to fill in the gaps so that we don't have the terrible gaps in the audio podcast. Oh, no, no, don't, don't worry. Okay, so 
this is where this is where Jason's really. If you smell burning, folks, it's he's gotten my gears turning to a, a high. <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel guilty now. No, don't yeah. feel guilty at all. This is a good thing. Any anyone who doesn't challenge and make people think is, I mean, that's not a good conversation. So let's think about this. So basically, what we're saying is that the supply itself creates the demand. So I guess what you consume in Google, right, ultimately can give you an opinion, which can then lead to a need for something. So if you were, I've always said people have a uh, a need they know and a need they don't know, right? right. So what happens is, uh, and I try to explain this to folks when they're thinking about how to create content. Are you creating content for the problem you know your customer needs? Are you creating content above that to inform them that they may have a problem that hmm. then could be solved through these mechanisms, right? So the idea then is, when you consume a piece of content that informs you that you may have a problem, right? Attrition right. within your company. So you, you're a CMO or no, you're a CFO and you're worried about attrition. The great resignation is impacting your business right now. And so you mm. go and you say ways, you ways to reduce attrition in my company. And all of a sudden um, you're given this uh, litany of potential opportunities in an article. They talk about um, better benefits. They talk about, um, they talk about products that can create customer loyalty or, or uh, employee loyalty. They talk about a few different methods. That sets off a demand from what was ultimately a supply, which was that article sets off many ships of potential queries that now go out and introduce people to potential brands, potential subject matters, and potential aspects. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant off the off the cuff there. And it the other took, thing it is took it, me a second in all fairness. I can't just like, but yeah. it, it, I hope it landed. I mean that that seems no, that, no, that, that's a fine. reasonable way to kind of follow that. But we can move that forwards even further and say that with Google's educational moments, with the people also asking so on and so forth, that once you start down a new rabbit hole like that, Google's gonna drag you down the, the the rabbit hole even further. And I mean, just to end, and what I've just realized is that what I've done with brand SERPs and CaliCube Pro, I've created a supply for which there is no demand. I'm sure people need it, but now I've just realized I'm in a situation where I'm hoping that it is true that supply creates its own demand. Thank you so much, Stefan. That was the most enlightening and delightful conversation. Um, we're going to quickly introduce next week, passing the baton traditionally. Yes. Next week, we've got Tom Shapiro, uh, Rethink Lead Generation. I've never thought about lead generation, so I'm not going to be rethinking it. I'm going to be thinking it for the first time with Tom. Uh, could you pass the baton, Stefan? Sure. So uh, I am passing the baton to Tom Shapiro, of uh, Stratabeat. I have actually heard wonderful things about him, have not had the chance to meet him. So Tom, this is a, a, a call out to you to reach out to me so we can have a conversation. But nonetheless, be sure to tune in next week uh, for the wonderful Tom Shapiro. And if you want more of me, check out stefanbajayo.com. Brilliant, wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, Anton, can I just call you back? Oh, I'll do the quick goodbye. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Stefan. Now, I wanted to just call Anton back because he's still there, and I'm really happy that Anton's still there. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of a war in Kiev. You managed to stick around for 40 minutes. I'm so happy that you're still here. I love you, man. I'm giving you a big, big, big hug, and I've said it publicly live on air. 
uh, one of my favorite people in the entire universe. Thank you. Man. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, Anton, um, for everything thank- you do for our industry. You're amazing. I really can't tell you enough. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Stefan. Right. Thank you, everyone, for watching. I'm going to leave you with this screen. Please do help. And if you've helped already, if you've donated already, if you've gone to a, a protest already, please do that again and again and again. And remember, our friends are in Ukraine right now defending their freedom. Let's help them. Stand with Ukraine. Thank you very much.